You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Monday, so it's time for Shapiro World with David Shapiro from Sassvin in Johannesburg. David, it's that sort of time of year where the Northern Hemisphere is really just not interested anymore. I mean, here we are we're coming up to August, which is the peak holiday month. And uh, I get the feeling that uh, nothing is going to happen. But on the other hand, something could happen because we've got the FOMC meeting on Wednesday. In other words, the U.S. interest rate decision. And also we've got the non-farm payrolls uh, number, the U.S. jobs yeah. number on Friday as well. So a a week that should be very quiet actually could turn out on the last three days of trading to be actually rather significant. And 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 how? So you've got jobs Friday, Fed Wednesday, tomorrow uh, trade talk starts. So there are quite a few things that can swing things around. Uh, and of course, dominating the news is uh, Boris Johnson. So that yeah. seems to be the main the main issue at the moment. But those things can turn around. Look. I'm just looking at the job forecasts, and I don't know how people get to forecast how many jobs are going to be created. You know, it always staggers me that that you've got models that can look across the whole of the United States and decide exactly how many people are going to be employed. But uh, you're still looking at healthy numbers in the plus 150,000, you know, which is still, I mean, at this stage of economic growth, uh, a very healthy number. And I think each person that gets a job becomes a potential consumer. So, you know, the U.S. economy is still ticking along pretty nicely. Uh, and it's, it's reflected in the stock market, um, although the big story, and I can't really, um, you know, I can't, I, I can't really comment, but um, who knows whether it's going to be 25 points or 50 points. You know, I'm really not in a position to, to make any forecasts, but I can listen to the debates. Whatever the figure is, whether it be 25 or 50, I think 25, would uh, the market would say well, we're expecting that. If it's 50 basis points, then they'll say that is disgraceful. He's either playing to Trump's tune or there is something about the US economy that we don't know about. So I think 25 would be a neutral to downside figure. A 50 basis point cut would be an initial spike. And then after that, people say, wait a second, this is wrong. And then the market would come down again. So I think both ways the market's going to come down. But that's just me as a broadcaster. I, I, you know what? If we, we do for some kind of a slowdown. Uh, we're coming, I won't say to the end of the results season, but we've seen the main technical companies coming out with their results. And uh, I'm not sure if there's any other company that's going to come out and be able to sway things or swing things uh, around. Lizzie, I must just point out one thing while we're talking now. I just saw on Bloomberg's a headline that Jacob Mabuzu has now been appointed acting CEO of, uh, of Eskom. No. I don't know if you picked this up. It's just come through now. <laughs> he, he's the telecom man. You know, yes. He is the telecom man. Uh, turn telecom around. So once more, I think... Uh, Well, Causa was put in charge of the PRC, and I think you're getting a businessman now being put in charge of, uh, you know, of of Eskom. Whether it makes a difference or not, it might have some psychological impact. Remember, we're now here trying to offset the negative comments that are coming out of, uh, you know, out of Moody's and Fitch, and uh, I think I think government trying everything in their power to try and appease people or try and appease investors. But just just uh, just brought that up because it suddenly flashed on the screen. Yeah, exactly. He's got a checkered history, hasn't he? I mean, he's not exactly uh, squeaky clean when it comes to the media anyway, let's put it that way. No, no. Look, all credit to him, he's done okay at at Telcom. You know, he's swung a a giant around. Um, He's pushing it into more the the mobile side, moving away from 
you know, moving away from voice and moving away from landlines and that's still a long way to go. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see, but it's, 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 it's an area that's going to take a long, long time to swing. I think that things are worse there than uh, government care to admit, you know, when someone says we need 450 billion, you can always add on another billion. You know, that from, from history that things never, never come within budget. So I, I still think we've got issues here to face before things do turn better, if they do turn better. Well, they will eventually, of course, because these things are cyclical. Well, sometimes, in, uh, for example, in the case of Zimbabwe, the cycle lasts a little, <laughs> yeah, little, bit, longer, little bit longer than <laughs> one might have expected or, or wanted. <laughs> I was speaking to a chap called Davi Root, the chief economist yes. and founder and director of the JSE-listed efficient group. They're delisting. They announced today that they're delisting from the JSC Securities Exchange, and I've just conducted an interview with him, which you can listen to on strictlybusinesspodcast.com or indeed oh, on, on sharenet.co.za. And I asked him about this, and he said, he said, you know, it's quite expensive for a company like ours, which has got a small free float and doesn't get much uh, interest. We're making lots of money, but nobody, he said, nobody's interested in us because we're too small, even though our numbers are very, very good. So, And it's just very expensive for us. And also, he said, it's easier to raise money elsewhere, less expensive to raise money elsewhere than on a stock exchange. And he put forward the idea that the JSC and these small exchanges, not NASDAQ and S&P and New York Stock Exchange, etc., not them, but the smaller exchanges may in the future become obsolete because it's easier to get money elsewhere. And I found that quite interesting. Have a listen to the interview. But what are your initial comments? No, he's probably right. You know, I... <laughs> What's interesting about that is that uh, Sassman, for whatever reason, uh, and I, I've got no explanation, I know that we have a share. Somewhere down the line, there might have been the idea that we could get closer to them. I'm talking Sassman Wealth. So we're actually involved in that. I think we own about maybe 20, 25%, I'm not sure, of that company. Yes. But, I mean, it's silly. You, you know what happens. I mean, you're there in the public. Uh, it's probably a very good small business Maybe it's not growing. Maybe in these kind of circumstances, very difficult to grow. But it does, you know, it still means that they can make a decent amount of money with a with a steady client base. And the actual costs of putting yourself out there, having to, uh, you know, having to produce ro- results for for shareholders, watching your share price goes nowhere. I, I find very little sense uh, in actually uh, uh, you know, companies like that. I, Lindsay, it's going to be the first of many. Yes. I think they're going to be buyouts. They're going to be buyouts, as we saw with Pioneer Food, maybe bigger companies like that, which are trading well below their underlying asset value, where uh, you know where where private equity wants to take it, work on it, not not pushed by quarterly earnings forecasts, and then little businesses like that where it pays to go actually private and. Uh, you know, just run without the public, um, you know, uh, seeing what you're doing and, and in- inspecting every decision. You get the Theo Buerta's, and I'm, I'm a supporter of Theo Buerta, who starts to question what the executives are paying themselves and, and all issues like that, which as a tiny company you don't really need. Not that that applied to efficient group, but generally to, to businesses. Yes. So, it's, it's, I, 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 you know, unless you're a mammoth company that needs huge amounts of cash, um, I, I, I tend to agree, you know, loan capital is a lot cheaper in the short run, in the long run, sorry, in the long run. 
The round has gone to 14.22. It was 14.32 just, I think, on Friday yeah. afternoon after the uh, rating agency gave us a thumbs down again, David. But it, it's an important move from 13.80 to 14.30. It's a big move in percentage terms. We're used to that with the rand, but it's significant for the economy, I think. And how? You know, um, look, it, it's reflecting nervousness about the economy. The, the move that we've seen today is actually the pounds become under a lot of pressure. Yeah. You know, the pounds fallen below 123, forecast is 130. So we're, we're benefiting from that. You know, when the pound goes weaker, even though there's, there's, there's not much happening to the dollar, um, that also tends to give us a bit of a boost. What's also given us a bit of a boost because of the pounds weaker, uh, a, lot of, a lot of shares um, in the UK that are uh, international companies that that earn a lot of money outside of the UK and are not directly linked to the uh, UK economy, they just happen to be listed there, have all done very well. And that flows through to our market as well. So, you know, Boris is actually helping the RAND and he's helping uh, the SA market, just putting an underpin against that. But I think, take that away, I still think there's uh, mounting worries about Fitch and mounting worries about whether Moody's are going to hold on and, uh, you know, how long it's going to take them before they actually downgrade us. And that means that will initially reflect in the RAND, probably in equities. I don't know, the bonds might be a bit slower to respond to it because I think a lot of it has been built in already, you know, into the bond market. But it does, it puts us in a very weak position and also makes it a lot harder for us to raise capital. When we do raise capital, it's always going to be at a higher level, you know, higher yield. Let's talk so, about Boris Johnson yeah. now. Let's talk about Boris Johnson uh, if we can now, because he has come out well, on the front page of the Telegraph this morning, telegraph.co.uk, which is a notoriously Tory or conservative newspaper, said that he's about to embark on the biggest ad campaign since, mm. I can't remember, since World War II or something. Anyway, he's going on an ad campaign to prepare Britain and the yeah. population of Britain for a no-deal Brexit. So if he's spending all this money government money, mm. taxpayers' money on an ad campaign in preparation for a no-deal Brexit, that means, in his mind, he's got a no-deal Brexit, which I don't, I don't know, David. I think that the reason that the pound is at a two-year low now is, be, is because of that. I mean, if there's a no-deal Brexit, we're into uncharted yeah. territories here. This is terrible for JSE-listed companies that do their business in Britain, and that's probably the focus that we should be focusing on. Well, you know, that's quite interestingly, it's... When you go through it, it's only a handful of businesses. Uh, oh, you mean local businesses that do business in yeah. the UK? I mean, yes, for example, it, Investec. It will be, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it was going to hurt Investec. It should hurt. Funny enough, they're slightly better today. But uh, it would hurt the banks uh, mainly. I don't, I don't know what trading companies there, but a whole lot of others that, that uh, just use the UK as a base, AstraZeneca and so on, are all all, all actually up. Diageo, uh, some of the pharmaceutical companies, you know, Vodafone. Well, Vodafone's up for another reason. Unilever, Royal Dutch Shell. Funny, they're all doing pretty well. But I think from the financial point of view and also for uh, some of the property companies, I think the pressure's on them. You know, a lot is already built in. But you're right, you know, he is embarking. He's, get, he's getting the public ready for this um, he should have done this when uh, the two, two, 2016 uh, uh, referendum, you know, maybe maybe um, a, kind of warning people what this meant. Uh, there might have been a different outcome, but 
he is, you know, they, they're propping up the borders. Uh, in other words, I don't know whether they're not security guards, but uh, generally customs officers there, um, you know, making sure that they can, the flow of goods can go through a lot faster if, if there is no deal with the UK. Uh, the big issue is over Ireland. And uh, so, so we're into uncharted territory. No one's really quite sure um, what this is going to what this is going to mean um, down the line. You know, you can't forecast what what holdups are going to take place at borders and how long it'll take to clear goods, etc. Things that were just taken for granted or used to move freely. So mm. I think Britain's in for a little bit of a jolt. And I, I suppose it, it affects tourists as well. I don't know what the story is there. You know, if you were used to having an EU passport. Are they just going to concede in this now? You know, when you had an EU passport, you would just flow through into St. Pancras or wherever you were landing. You would just walk through the EU gate or something. Now, are there going to be more queues at customs and have your fingerprints taken and uh, all those kind of issues that we have to suffer when we go to the UK? I'm looking at my passport now, actually. It's a little bit beaten up because it's due for renewal in November of this year. But it's a European <laughs> Union passport. But at the bottom, after the number, it says here, United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. But it's European Union. And mm. uh, that, that, that's going to change for me. And I'm going to mm. I'm have to queue with South Africans from now on to yeah. get, to get yeah. into Britain, which is a pain. In the butt. Mm. Exactly. <clears throat> <laughs> what else you you know, and you're going to get visas as well, you know, which also oh, takes cool. time. It's uh, so that's where a, a lot of these issues, are, you know, have um, they've been thought about, but they've got to staff up now and get the computer systems and get all of these things ready after decades, um, you know, well over a decade, almost two decades of of free movement, and uh, and and they've got to have rules for the people who are already there. You know, people who are already working under EU uh, passports or under the freedom that existed before. So, I mean, they're a massive amount. And, and, and old Trump's rubbing it in. You know, he's loving it, do deals with us and so on. So, yeah, okay, Marcus, Marcus, let's have a look at uh, the Stock Exchange News Service today. I'll do that later on with the broker. But uh, ArcelorMittal South Africa updated trading statement for the six months ended the 30th of June. I can't believe the share is two rand 64. I mean, it's up 1% yeah. or so. But uh, I still, every time I look at ArcelorMittal, I think this used to be Iscor. This used to be a giant company. Yeah. Not anymore. Mm, mm. No. Got a market cap of $3 billion. Wow. So, I mean, you can buy all those smokestacks and uh, all the equipment that lies there. You can buy their stock, everything, for about $3 billion, which uh, is probably just a little bit more than Sassman. Now, I think we're about a billion, but, I mean, it gives you an idea of, 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 of you know, it, it sometimes it staggers me that uh, these companies can be valued so low. But it is a reflection of, of profitability. You know, um, they're making losses. So they're chewing up, uh, you know, they're chewing up money. And, of course, you don't want to pay for companies that don't give you profits, you know, that actually give you losses. So it means that uh, they're selling things for more than they can make them or more than they can buy them. That's really what it means. And, therefore, you write down the assets to those kind of levels. Yeah. But it's a reflection of the SA economy as well and the global economy. Obviously, there's, there's, there's nowhere to export their steel into and there's no local consumption. So... Um, pretty difficult situation, but they're not unique, eh? you know, they're not unique in the SA economy. No, they're not. Anything mm. else you're looking at? I mean, I noticed Discovery was, has been all over the place recently because of NHI. I mean, it's the other I thing thought, we haven't yeah. spoken about. NHI is not going to happen, David. It, it can't no, happen because there's no, no money for it. No, no, no. You know, those, those are plans. 
I'd also like to be a uh, administrator or a, an official in government and spend my time drawing up these plans, having no idea how we're ever going to implement them mm-hmm. or where we're going to find the money to implement them. You know, it makes you feel important and it makes you feel, gives you something to do and justify your salary, you know, which is plus your pension that you get. But at, at the end of the day, um, these grand plans are not going to fight. It just isn't the money. Mm. There isn't, you know, there's not the money around. You, you, you know what's interesting is that that uh, you mentioned discovery because I think on Friday they hit a uh, um, they they traded below 130, which was yes. for me a, a multi-year low. Um, they bounced a little today, but I don't know what they're pointing to. You know what this all means? Maybe the delay in getting the bank going, maybe worries about. Uh, the profitability, but th- they're just one of a number of other businesses that fell as well. You know, Liberty, Sunlum, uh, Old Mutual, all of those hit uh, 52-week lows on Friday. They bounced off that, you know, they bounced there from those levels today. And a small bounce, but I think in line with the rest of the market. But there are a number of companies that, that continue to worry me. Aspen down another percent cap. So SA Inc., yeah. Some people are saying that um, Discovery is the next Aspen. I mean, maybe not to the extent because of it's a slightly different one, very, very different business mm. model. But mm. some people are saying that uh, it could be the next uh, Aspen. But when you listen to that interview, which I hope you will do later on with uh, with Javi from the Efficient Group, he talked, uh, yeah. he talks quite brutally about the South African economy. And this is a man yeah. who was attacked quite nastily, him and his, his family. And he, he survived. He was he was close to death, but he survived, and he still stays in South Africa. But he's delisting from the JSE. And I asked him, and you'll hear it in the interview, if he would consider leaving. And he's, for the first time, he sort of conceded that he might do yeah. leaving, leaving South Africa. And this is a proper boykey, as they say. He's look. I've 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 uh, followed him for many years. He's he's uh, I like his approach. He's always, as you say, he's been pretty brutal because, uh, and he's a very smart man. You know, he might come across sometimes as when I say rural. You know, sometimes his accent is a bit, uh, you know, a bit rural in that sense and that. But he's no fool, and no, and not. you know what I mean. And he's not pandering to anybody. He doesn't work for a big bank where he's scared to make statements in case the government start to take action. So he's not an absolute economist. He's not Standard Bank. He's not any one of those Ned Bank or Investec economists in that. So he says it like he sees it. Like Mike Schuss, there's also a, another person who I like to listen to who's pretty, pretty straightforward and down the line. And Davi has always been uh, very honest and open about, uh, you know, about issues here. Uh, highlighting inefficiencies within the government and what this all means, and I, you know, I think he's pretty close to the mark. Um, I think when when we go through results, you know, when you start to analyse results that are coming through, uh, you start to pick up those statements, and you know, to me, there's a there's a grave worry uh, in in how SA Inc is actually performing. Um, especially down at the level of of ArcelorMittal, you know, the the smokestack type companies. Um, I think I think those are very worrying. So, make what you you, you know you know what's interesting as well. And and I like to I love to play with numbers. Do you know that Lindsay at the top of you remember two thousand and eight around about yes. March or April? That's when we started to see uh, cracks in the subprime right. uh, subprime market, and that started to get that knocked the market right through for about six months 
where we bottomed down about September or October, November, around about 2008, we lost 45%. You know, the market lost 45%. This was t- termed as the uh, great financial, what's it, the great financial crisis, whatever it was. And we bottomed for another few months and then started to pick up 09 when governments took stand, you know, started to take cash. We lost 45%. Go look at the JSE today. You know, if you pick up the JSC, you'll find a number of businesses that over the last few months have lost 45% and more. And yet it's overshadowed and overmasked by the top end of the market, the NASPERSs and British American Tobaccos and all those international companies which make up a large weight of the index. You know, they've, they've saved us and kept us stable. Take that away. You'll see a completely different picture uh, you know, on this market. Um, and it's, you know, brutal. you use the word brutal. It's absolutely brutal what's happened to a lot of the wealth uh, in smaller and medium cap companies here. Yeah, it is. And the difficulty we have now is that the political enthusiasm that uh, overwhelmed us 18 months ago has now completely gone and turned in the opposite yeah. direction. It's yeah. become pessimism and I really don't yeah. see that there's any difference with Cyril Ramaphosa mm-hmm. and in fact Davi Ruit in that same interview says he is a weak president he doesn't blame the president himself and not uh, not directly not overtly but what he does mm-hmm. say is this is a weak president in other words he yeah. doesn't have the power to do it so 18 months it's all gone and we're back to square mm-hmm. one yeah I, th- I think you know you you hearing Davi Ruit I know that uh, Johan Rupert is making headwaves uh, making ways with his interview in or in an article in the Financial Mail this week, which is an extract from yes. uh, a book called uh, The Stellenbosch Mafia. And and Rupert was never the Stellenbosch Mafia. He's born and bred down there. It was more the outsiders that came down and settled in Stellenbosch. I think they made up the mafia. Yes. But, I mean, you know, what he says about South Africa as well in that interview, and he's been quoted in the FM, is also pretty... You know, it's he's glad his kids are in England, and uh, and I think he's come under personal attacks as being the face of what was um, white monopoly capital, which is nonsense. You know, he's done an enormous amount for the country um, in the companies that they run, in the number of people that they employ. Um, but but it begins to get on your nerves, you know, and I think it's beginning to weaken the resolve of people who used to be you know optimists, you know, who wanted to stay, wanted to make a make it a difference and i think they starting to say what you know what can we do uh we've tried to help we can't uh why do we have to always be attacked personally uh let's go somewhere where we can live in peace exactly i suppose darby would end up in new zealand i think he's got family there or thereabouts or relations in that i'm not sure he, where old darby would end up well, we'll see. That's Jan's that, got enough money to go anywhere. I think Jan Rupert can do anything he wants to do. Anyway, <laughs> let's, let's just read the first couple of paragraphs on that article in the Financial Mail. Good article. Jan Rupert, the chair of Remco and Richmond, who has always been vocal about his loyalty to South Africa, his private plane in brackets says here, uh, bears the national springbok symbol, has started to doubt the country's future. Mm. His children live in England. He thinks it's better mm. that way. And he goes on to say, when they are here, uh, they couldn't go out in public without being insulted. It affected mm. my family, he says. That's a damning indictment. Yeah. It's a terrible, yeah, it terrible couple of paragraphs I've just yeah. read. And he can't go back on that. He, he said that in the you know, interview. Uh, that would have been checked with him. You know, he, I don't think the publisher would have made it without him no, at least so. having a say. So, 
yeah, that, I, I think he's pretty forthright about, about his sentiments. So why should he walk in Somerset West or wherever the Rupert family resides uh, and, and, and be insulted and, you know, read press headlines which insult him and, and for, for whatever reason. And, and yes, he's outspoken, but I don't think he's done anything illegal or, or anything that deserves that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of treatment. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a reflection of, of, of what's happening. When we lose the Derby Roots and the Johan Ruperts and people of that character, um, it doesn't do the country any good. You know, it, hmm. We don't want to lose our rugby players. You know, we still got sufficient there. I mean, um, anyway. Yeah, it was, <laughs> a, it was quite yeah. a good result on Saturday morning, wasn't yeah. it? I mean, yeah. that, that yeah. final try and that kick to level the scores mm. at 16 all that was remarkable. Mm. I mean, the, the pressure We still that produce that them. Was, right? yeah, yeah, of yeah, we, we still managed to produce wonderful rugby players. I mean, we were slightly outplayed, but uh, the results the results just show some South African determination. But... Um, we still got plenty of rugby players. That's one thing they don't seem to be leaving. leaving. I know a couple up, a couple are ending up in the south of France, in Toulouse, or in uh, those kind of places, or even in the UK. But still, mm. very, very good. Uh, moving on from one uh, third world sport to a proper sport, and that's football, of course, David. <laughs> uh, uh, Arsenal, I think, are signing, signing a person from France, uh, from mm. Lyon, I think it is. Is it Lyon or two? Mm. Or, no, uh, from no, Lyon. Lille. Uh, from Lyon, yeah. yeah. 72 million. Never even heard of him. 72 million quid. I've never heard of this little chap. Who is he? I don't know, but he runs fast. That I do know. He's a speedster. I, I just hope he can make a difference. And. Uh, he can feed the two uh, two strikers. Uh, Arsenal need something, and they need they also need to appease their fans. I think the fans are getting very angry and very very despondent. And uh, I think I think money needs to be spent so that they can at least line up against some of the better teams. Uh, having seen them last season uh, just fade away, I think big changes need to be made. So they've got a couple of players on loan as well. Uh, made a few purchases. I just hope they can make a difference. You know, you know what always, you know what's sad is that Arsenal's academy has always been very, very good. When you look at the results in the leagues, you know, the under, I, I don't know what, the under 17s, 19s, under 21 or thereabouts, mm-hmm. Arsenal always hold their, you know, always hold their own um, in those kind of leagues, even with the women. And yet, once it comes to senior, those chaps just seem to fizzle away and, and, and just never reach the kind of levels that you would expect Academy to produce. It's called and money. It's called money, sad. David. Suppose, when, yeah. you're, when you're young, uh, you, you get mm. a good contract. Uh, you're going to get mm. you know, two or 3,000 quid a week or something. And then suddenly you get propelled to fifty to 200,000 a week. Mm. And you think to yourself, well, now I've made it. That's exactly what I wanted. Mm. And if they don't like it and the crowd doesn't like it and the manager doesn't think I'm doing well, then my agent will sell me to Napoli or to Juventus yeah. or whoever yeah. it is. And I'll get even mm. more money. Hmm. It's a money thing. Yeah, it is. But I mean, none of, none of our chaps have really done. You know, you, you thought that chaps would emerge, uh, but but if you look at the composition of the of the Arsenal side, you know, there's 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 very few that have come through the ranks there, and those that have are, are marginal type players, and that's a sadness. 
Anyway. anyway, we'll see this season. We've got yeah. lots to look forward to. Yes, we have. I think uh, the Community Shield starts on Sunday or something like that, isn't it? Who's Manchester, playing now? Who would Manchester City, obviously, uh, versus? Uh, it's it's going to be. It's Liverpool not going to be Liverpool. I don't know. I would. I hope it's not Watford or someone like because you know? <laughs> so they were runners up. I mean, that's in the cup. So I hope. I hope they take runners up in the league and not runners up in the cup. Anyway, the point is that uh, we've got the Ashes starting on Thursday, England-Australia. We've got the football season yeah. starting to mm. kick off this weekend. It's going to be absolutely yeah. fantastic. David Shapiro is from Sasvin, and that was Shapiro World. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za. Visit strictlybusinesspodcast.com and subscribe to receive exclusive content straight to your inbox.